Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 425 for January 11th, 2015. This week, from Kodak and Microsoft to D-Link and Turtle Beach, we'll take a look at this week's Consumer Electronics Show. It's beginning to sound like Microsoft will make the Windows 10 update free for Windows 8 users. A TechBiter guest writer explains encryption in more or less plain English on the website. In short circuits, an IBM report says online thieves are becoming more efficient. Apple prepares to launch a watch, and maybe the pundits will finally admit they were a little bit premature in saying that the PC was dead. Spare Parts has an account of a nasty computer attack, Sony's new Walkman at $1,200, and faster wireless charging. Although most of the big computer shows, such as PC Expo, no longer exist, the Consumer Electronics Show continues to run each January in Las Vegas and shows no sign of fading away. As always, there was lots of hyperbole, so let's see if we can slice through a little of it. Let's start with Kodak's new smartphone. Wearing the Kodak brand, a new Android smartphone manufactured by the Bullet Group was on display. Now, you knew the preview picture I showed last week was a fake, right? So the actual Kodak Android smartphone looks like, surprise, an Android smartphone. In addition to the Android operating system, there is a custom-built user interface, remote management software, and a special app store. The hardware is an octa-core 1.7 GHz processor and a box with a 5-inch HD screen, 13-megapixel rear camera, 5-megapixel front camera, 8 gigabytes of ROM, and a paltry 1 gigabytes of RAM. Oh, the user can expand that to 32 gigabytes with a micro SD card. The Samsung Galaxy Note 4, for example, though, has 3 gigabytes of RAM and 32 gigabytes of built-in memory. And it supports micro SD cards up to 128 gigabytes. So Bullet has some opportunities here for improvement. One interesting feature is the remote management software that allows trusted friends and family to provide help via a PC or tablet. Bullet also notes that the Kodak heritage means that taking, storing, sharing, and printing photos is easier than on competing devices. But how many images can you store in a single gigabyte of RAM? Kodak's vice president for brand licensing, Eileen Murphy, says that photos are often stuck on mobile devices because the process of moving photos to other devices confuses users. The Kodak IM5 will be available for sale around the end of the first quarter. Speaking of phones, Microsoft has one for you and it is cheap. Microsoft Devices Group unveiled the Nokia 215 at the Consumer Electronics Show. Now instead of cheap, the term Microsoft uses is the most affordable internet-ready phone. How affordable or cheap is it? Try 30 bucks. That's being stated, though, as $29 before taxes and subsidies. 
The Nokia 215 is aimed at first-time mobile phone buyers or those who have wanted to add internet access to their phones. The irony here is the person who buys a $30 phone could then pay double that every month for the data plan. Available in both single-SIM and dual-SIM models, the Nokia 215 will expand the reach of Microsoft services at, according to Microsoft, more affordable prices. The Nokia 215 has a built-in flashlight. It offers up to 20 hours of talk time and outstanding battery life. Manufacturers, as you perhaps already know, always overstate battery life. Instead of streaming audio, the phone comes with a built-in FM radio and the ability to play MP3 files. There's a camera with VGA resolution. VGA, by the way, is the standard that Sony used with its original digital camera way back when. The one with the built-in disk drive, you know, 640 by 480 pixels. The screen has a 2.4-inch form factor, 320 by 240 pixels, and the phone supports up to 32 gigabytes of memory via a micro SD card. In other words, the boardrooms at Apple and Samsung are probably not crowded with executives who are trying to figure out how their companies will survive in light of this new entry. Router manufacturer D-Link says that its new Powerline AV2 devices will enable gigabit communication speeds over standard power lines. If it works, it'll be a welcome development for people who live in buildings that aren't Wi-Fi friendly. The primary problem with Powerline networking to date has been the limited data transfer rate. After all, power lines are designed to carry 120 volt 60 hertz electricity instead of low voltage high frequency data. The two models are the DHP701AV and the DHP601AV. Both will be available for purchase before the end of the first quarter. The 700 series unit at $130 includes two DHP700AV Powerline AV2000 gigabit adapters, one that connects to your network router, another that connects to the device you want to add to the network. The 700 series device operates at speeds up to 2 gigabits, and the 600 series device at speeds up to 1 gigabit. It also includes what D-Link calls a MIMO technology for improved coverage, particularly for distant outlets. The 600 series unit at 80 bucks includes two DHP600AV Powerline AV1000 gigabit adapters. Turtle Beach makes a lot of audio gear for computer users, and it's a big name in the gaming market, so one would expect the company to announce some new devices at CES. One would not be disappointed. This year, the company brought out new gaming headsets, including the Elite 800X, the X07 Pro, and the X04 Stealth. The company also highlighted what it calls the new Hypersound Virtual Reality Audio Solution. Moving beyond audio applications, Turtle Beach also announced a new line of PC gaming accessories, including keyboards, mice, and mouse pads. The Stealth 500X headset is what the company calls the first 100% wireless headset for the Xbox One. With these on your head, you'll have 7.1 channel surround sound and $200. They're not cheap. They're also not new for CES. Turtle Beach introduced them late last year, just in time for holiday giving. The Elite 800X headphones are new, 
and they include active noise cancellation and a microphone that doesn't require a boom. The XO7 Pro is licensed by Major League Gaming. I've never heard of Major League Gaming before. And it features superhuman hearing. That's some of the hyperbole I mentioned earlier. Superhuman hearing is simply a sound leveling process that reduces the dynamic range of the sound and thus makes quieter sounds that are harder to hear louder. The XO4 Stealth is a lightweight gaming headset for Xbox One and mobile devices. The new gaming accessories carry the Turtle Beach name, but they are manufactured by Nordic Game Supply. They won't be available until spring. In addition to mechanical keyboards, the Impact 700 and Impact 500, there is a programmable laser mouse, the Grip 500, and an optical mouse, the Grip 300, and two mouse pads, Drift and Traction. Don't forget to check out the TechBiter Worldwide website. Over in the spare parts column, there is some more CES coverage. Wondering what's up with Windows 10? Well, with about three quarters of a year to go, Microsoft developers continue to work on the next version of the operating system. I tried to make the case for lifetime licensing for Windows on the November 2nd program last year. It'd make sense for Microsoft to license Windows on a per-computer basis and then allow automatic free updates for as long as that computer remains in service. While that's probably too revolutionary a concept for Microsoft's finance it appears that users of Windows 8 and 8.1 will be allowed to upgrade their systems to Windows 10 without cost. Microsoft says that users of Windows version 7 and later will be able to perform an in-place upgrade. That was expected. Those who want to upgrade older computers from Vista, for example, or XP, will need to perform a clean installation, meaning the disk will be formatted during the process. Various reports have indicated that Microsoft is planning the no-cost update for Windows 8 users and will charge a nominal fee for those who use Windows 7. Vista and XP users would be required to pay the full cost of the new operating system, whatever that full cost turns out to be. Windows 7 is expected to include a new web browser codenamed Spartan. The new browser hasn't been included in the public beta at this point, but there are hints that Microsoft will demo the new browser at an event on the 21st of this month. Spartan will not be a replacement for Internet Explorer. It will be offered as a supplement. It's being positioned as a fast, lightweight browser. In effect, Microsoft is celebrating Internet Explorer's 20th birthday by giving it a younger sibling that will continue to use the Trident rendering engine, but will look and feel more like Firefox or Chrome. Microsoft will continue along the path of creating a single operating system with variants for servers, desktops, notebooks, tablets, and phones. The variations may be slightly more pronounced with increased emphasis on the desktop for traditional computers. On desktop systems, booting to the desktop will be the default operation. Taking a page from the responsive website operation book, Microsoft says that Windows 10 will modify itself to fit the device that it's been installed on.
Here's a pretty scary topic, encryption. Email is often used to send proprietary information, business development plans, for example, even though most people probably know that email is less secure than a postcard. Encryption will protect your data, but encryption is puzzling or frightening or both. Phil Turner, who's a vice president of development at CDK Global, recently explained encryption in an uncommonly clear article that simplifies what is a complex subject. He gave me permission to use it on the website. Even simplified, it is a complex story that benefits greatly from images that are included on the website. This is a podcast. Podcasts don't do images. If we did, we'd call it television. So you'll have to check out the TechBiter Worldwide website. Phil's discussion describes what are called symmetric ciphers, meaning that a single encryption key is used for both encryption and decryption. The obvious problem with this simple system is the fact that the key can be compromised, and if that happens, encrypted messages will no longer be secure. Asymmetric ciphers use one key to encrypt, another key to decrypt, and each person has two keys. One of the two keys is designated as the private key. It is kept secret. The other key is designated as the public key, and it can be widely distributed without concern about who has access to it. So if I send an encrypted message to Phil, it would be encrypted with my private key, which only I know, and Phil's public key, which the entire world can see. When Phil receives the message, he would decrypt it using my public key, visible to the entire world, and his private key, visible only to him. The article continues with an explanation of PGP, which is pretty good privacy, and the open-source variant, GPG, along with information about digital signatures. So be sure to visit the website where you can see the illustrations and read the entire article. It is enlightening. short circuits. IBM says cyber attacks are down, but this could be because crooks have already stolen everything they can steal. The IBM report notes that although the number of attacks was down, crooks still snagged more than 61 million customer records in 2014. IBM says attacks were down by half in 2014, but yields were way up. Most of the crooks scaled back their hacking efforts around Black Friday and Cyber Monday. That may be a surprise to you. certainly was to me. The report was created by IBM's Managed Security Services team of analysts. The report notes that attackers are becoming more sophisticated and they're using complex techniques that give them access to confidential records with increased efficiency. So, although the number of incidents is down, the threat has actually increased. The primary threats come from organized cybercrime rings, according to Chris Lovejoy, the general manager of IBM Security Services, He says that it's more important than ever for those who deal with customers' data to have the right people, processes, and technology in place to take on these growing threats. Some of the key points in the report, the number of daily cyber attacks was 3,043, 
nearly one-third less than the 4,200 average over the same period in 2013. From 2013 to 2014, the number of breaches dropped by more than 50% for Black Friday and Cyber Monday. In 2013, there were more than 20 breaches disclosed, including several large breaches that caused the number of records compromised to rise drastically, reaching close to 4 million. Over the same period in 2014, 10 breaches were disclosed, which resulted in just over 72 million records being compromised. IBM notes that there has been a rise in the number of -of point-of-sale malware attacks, but most incidents that target the retail sector still involve command line injection or SQL injection. Both of these attack vectors are well known to security experts, and they should be high on system developers' lists of techniques to protect against. In a related item, an Israeli company called Nice Systems has announced an application aimed at preventing online fraud. Nice Systems creates applications designed to improve customer experience and simultaneously protect the business. The real-time fraud prevention solution attempts to detect and prevent fraud in real-time. Among the techniques used are voice biometrics and other analytics, so it's primarily used for call centers. NICE says the system identifies 90% of fraudulent callers in the first few seconds of a call. The company didn't provide any information about false positives, which could adversely affect customer service. The system screens all interactions to detect suspicious activity so that company employees can handle high-risk interactions properly. The intent is to accurately flag fraudulent activities without needlessly delaying or disrupting legitimate callers. The website 9to5Mac is predicting that the much-anticipated Apple Watch will be available soon, perhaps before the Ides of March. The site reports that the date has been moved up to March, which is slightly more detailed than the previous early 2015 expected ship date. Senior Vice President of Retail Angela Arents got a bit more specific by telling employees that the launch will occur in the spring after the Chinese New Year, the site noted. Training programs in Cupertino and Austin are reported to be scheduled for mid-February, and most Apple stores around the country will send at least one employee to be trained on how the Apple Watch works. Those employees are expected to return to their stores and share the knowledge. Unlike most watches, this one will have to be recharged every night, and the charging will be done wirelessly. The $350 watch will be Apple's basic model, Some users will, of course, want something a little better. The mid-range model is priced at $500 or so. And then there will be the gold standard Apple Watch featuring real gold and a price tag in the thousands of dollars. I guess that's one of those if you have to ask how much, you can't afford it. Did you buy into the silliness of the pundits a year or so ago when they said the personal computer was dead? We would all be doing everything on our smartphones and tablets. Probably you didn't, but a lot of people did. This week's Consumer Electronics Show may have shown the pundits what anyone with any common sense already knew. 
Smartphones and tablets can't do everything people want to do. The PC, whether desktop or notebook, is going to be around for a while. A smartphone is perfect for checking messages, keeping up with Facebook, grabbing photos and videos, things like that. Tablets are fine. They're making some inroads into digital image processing, but only as adjuncts for desktop systems. It's clear that the market for personal computers is changing, but it's not disappearing. Smartphones and tablets are still new. People who have purchased them in the past two or three years instead of replacing a desktop system are now beginning to think about replacing those desktop systems. What they're finding is that desktop systems take up less of the desk than they used to, and that the new notebooks aren't so heavy that you get a sore shoulder from carrying them through an airport. By using smaller frames, such as those used on portable devices, manufacturers are placing larger screens in smaller boxes. Of course, you can only go so far with that. The box has to be at least as large as the screen, but not by much. And the manufacturers are adding features that can't be added to smartphones and tablets. So the bottom line is, as it always has been, that the intelligent user will fit the tool to the task at hand. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.